The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Now, it's a great pleasure to welcome our Friday Forum panel. And they're all A-listers. Uh, Owen O'Brien, who is, of course, Sinn Féin TD for Dublin Midwest and goes on and on about housing and wants to be the next housing minister. And we need houses. Uh, from Gorey, no less, and County Wexford Senator Malcolm Byrne of Fianna Fáil, who is also a member of the Oireachtas Media Committee. And I think he was on manoeuvres at the Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party recently, if I remember rightly, uh, calling, I think, for a deputy leader to be appointed. I wonder what that was about. Uh, was he a stalking horse for somebody? And it's a great pleasure to see what is a national treasure. Alice Leahy, uh, Director of Services at the Alice Leahy Trust, doing great work in central Dublin for her lifetime in caring for those who are really in very bad circumstances in a really excellent humanist way. Now, you're all welcome. I have to ask you the pressing question of the morning. What is your favourite ice cream, Malcolm? Well, I'm a bit old school. Ivan, I still like a cone with a flake in it. All right. Okay, well, I expected Fina Fall, you know, pretty vanilla. Yes? Murphy's Honeycomb and Murphy's are in Wicklow Street and there are queues there. It is delicious. And what's the honeycomb in it? Is it uh, kind of is it kind of like a a butterscotchy well, that's thing? The one, that's the one I get generally. I usually yeah. buy two. I'd two expect big top dogs. end from you anyway. <laughs> now I'm not looking for something socialist now from you, Owen. <laughs> I'm a ter- terribly sorry to disappoint you. First of all, it's it's cold and wet outside. So why we're talking is about it? ice cream, oh, right. I, I don't I didn't know. know that because we've I, had the hottest June in history. We have. Um, I don't eat a lot of ice cream, but what I do really like after dinner is an affogato, which is a single scoop of vanilla ice cream and an espresso. And you can you mix see, this, you, oh, see, you see, I always suspected it is simple that you and your better tasty. half are top end people at the end of the day. Sim- simple and tasty. Indeed, indeed, <laughs> indeed. OK, uh, well, let's start. Uh, Malcolm, you're on the media committee and, and it, it stepped up a gear with the waterboarding yesterday and following the money trail. What did we learn over the last two days? I think the key thing is that there is a culture in RTE uh, that is in need of radical reform. Um, very clearly, there were a lot of failures of corporate governance. Uh, it's clear that at the executive board level, this is the management level within RTE, the left hand didn't know what the right hand was doing. People weren't talking to each other, or certainly on the basis of the evidence that was or provided to us. Or they to said they weren't talking to each other, which is precisely the point. Um, we we were missing a few key witnesses. Uh, obviously, D Forbes uh, wasn't um, before either the media committee or the public accounts committee, and I think she could shine some light. And Noel Kelly and Ryan himself, uh, and yeah, all of that. Yeah, and and, and, and I, this will this will run. And it run, will run. No well, question. I, I, I if mean, you look at all the things there to get back to the PAC about in terms of bank statements and you know events and so on. Um, but if if you take the wood from the trees. We do need public service broadcasting. RT's finances are not good. They're, they've 95 a million of debt. Their revenue is probably not going up with the, with the licence fee and commercial going down. And they may be going to lose 30 million a year. What's to be done? So the Oireachtas Media Committee had actually been debating all of those issues over the last two to three years. And, and in fact, we even had a session scheduled for Wednesday week on the issue of sports broadcasting. You'd be aware of some of the controversy Diego around Diego and, that, yeah. And, yeah. And, and, and so on. And, and that's still going ahead because we still have to look at that broader picture because public sector broadcasting, uh, whether it's provided by RTE or by News Talk or by local radio stations, 
is incredibly important. Uh, so we can't lose track of the bigger picture and we can't lose track of the excellent work that's being done uh, by the staff out in RT who are continuing to put out quality programming and have done this all during the periods. There is a report um, from an expert working group on Catherine Martin's desk uh, around the future funding uh, of RTE and public sector broadcasting uh, and she was due to bring a paper to cabinet uh, on that. I think though the difficulty is is it's it's just going to be extremely difficult especially when you know people are in in some cases struggling to get the 160 euro uh, to pay the license fee until we are able to have trust again in RTE it's going to be very difficult to talk about but, but if, uh, license if, fee if reform. Take, if this was the HSC, the FAI, the IFA <laughs> or any organisation, there is in this modern world the responsibility for the culture of corporate governance comes from the board. I just can't get over how Moya Doherty waltzes in yesterday, eight years chairperson, knew nothing, know nothing. Like, is that not an even bigger admission of failure than if she knew everything? I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I, I the will say... The remuneration committee didn't meet for a I, whole year. I, I will say in defence of the of the new chair, Shunir Alig, uh, and the Order and Risk Committee, once, you know, this information came uh, to light before them, uh, they did take action. Uh, and I think, uh, not that all the decisions were correct, but I think certainly Shunir Alig has shown a quite steely determination. Well, it was, it was and she's really naive talked about of her not to tell the minister. No? I, I, I agree with you on that, Ivan. It was, but... I've it, asked for the resignation. I've suspended her, but I'm not telling you. I, I mean, I, like, you I, just I think don't that understand was, I think that was works. wrong. I think yeah. that was wrong. And I, th- I think she would acknowledge that. We've called, I'm, I'm actually, just after coming from an online meeting of the media committee, we're going to be having another meeting uh, next Wednesday where we have set out further to the set of questions uh, that, you know, we had raised certain information as to follow up, including details about what went through this, you know, the barter account sure, and essentially sure. the slush fund. Um, we are asking, um, by the way, that uh, the the current uh, CFO has only been in place for the last two years. We're also asking his predecessor uh, to come in. Um, and there's obviously an outstanding uh, invitation to Dee Forbes and Jim Jennings, the director of content in RT as well. OK, next Wednesday. Owen, uh, you're a seasoned media operator. You've seen them all come and go. What, what's your reaction to the two days of hearings? The first thing is I genuinely have to have to, have to say both the media committee and the, the um, public accounts committee have done a very, very good job uh, because the vast majority of members of those two committees did what they were meant to do over those two days, which is do everything they can to get as much factual information into the public domain. And in fact, after the media committee hearing, many of the questions were what was going to happen at PAC? And actually things got much, much worse yesterday because it's not just about this barter account and a special arrangement for Ryan Tuberty and who did or didn't know what in both the executive and the board. In fact, that account, or it was described by one member as a slush fund, is substantially bigger in terms of the total quantum of money and sums of money were being used for a whole range of purposes. And it doesn't just speak to a failure of corporate governance, and Malcolm is right. It speaks to a kind of an inside culture where people think the rules don't apply to them. And at the same time, right across RTE, you have journalists, you have producers, and you have other people who are working very, very long hours uh, over uh, the course of the working week uh, to keep public service broadcasting in place. Zero hour contracts, low pay, working overtime, not getting adequate support or, or, or resources. Uh, and that sense of betrayal by staff uh, and by the wider public, uh, I think, raises two questions. And I think this is where the, the questioning now needs to go, because Malcolm is right. There is more information that's required and there are more witnesses that need to come forward. But for me, there's then two other questions. 
who is going to be held responsible uh, and what are the consequences uh, uh, for those failures because it's not enough for us just to be told what happened. Uh, we need to know that if you break the rules or if you act in ways that are not acceptable by whatever set of rules or standards, then there are consequences. And then the other thing is, how are we going to make sure this never happens again? My, my preference is in the first instance, uh, through the exchanges with uh, uh, government ministers and with the relevant committees, that RTE brings forward a set of proposals to radically restructure uh, uh, its governance to ensure that, for example, it's not possible for people not to know. Uh, it's not possible for information to be withheld. So I think that needs to happen urgently. And I think if that are, is... Are you calling for heads there? Uh, 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 my strong view is, if we are saying, and I think there is a general view, that what happened was unacceptable, what happened uh, uh, in terms of the misleading of the doll previously, senior members of RTE came to the Public Accounts Committee and misled the doll. That's a matter of fact. It seems from the information uh, uh, from Did members of the board... Did they more conceal than de they, deceive? They, they misled. There, there, there's okay. no question of it. They also misled the public. This is saying that there was a 15% pay cut when there wasn't, yeah. pleading poverty when there was opulence, that kind of stuff. Likewise, they misled the public. They misled their own staff. Uh, and while clearly D Forbes, if you read the media coverage uh, and the commentary and, and some of the answers of the, the, the committee yesterday is at the centre of the firing line, she's not the only person who's responsible for all of this. Uh, and I'm not going to get into, into naming who should or shouldn't face what consequences, but there has to be consequences. And I think in fairness to the two committees who have been addressing this, I think they'll have a sense okay, at so, the end So the of cabinet are maybe in corporally or whatever looking at a government like said, all the work of the committees <laughs> are looking at a government if Sinn Féin were in government what would you want to see and do you have a view in Sinn Féin because I'm telling people Sinn Féin are going to be the, leading the next government uh, are you, do you have a view about the licence fee do you have a view about public service broadcasting or are you open on these questions? No, I'm, I'm a very, very strong supporter of good quality public sector broadcasting. Um, and notwithstanding the very significant problems uh, uh, within RTE and criticisms that many of us have with RTE, the principle of public sector broadcasting is one uh, that we will defend. I also believe there does need to be a, a serious consideration about how we put the public service broadcaster on a sustainable uh, uh, financial footing. Does that mean raising it from 160? That, that's not the only option that's on the table. And again, uh, as Malcolm and his... Tech taxes or something as, like that? As Malcolm and his committee knows, there's a range of options. They're much more expert uh, on this issue, including my own party colleagues there than I am. But what I would say is this. It is going to be very hard to have that conversation about the long-term sustainability of public sector broadcasting if we don't fix these other issues. And there's a danger here because there are actually people out there who don't think we should have any public sector mm. broadcasting. They think our media should just be private sector-led <coughs> like the uh, US with all of the dangers or like Italy with all of the dangers that you have there. And therefore, I think it's incumbent, first of all, on RTE in the first instance. Uh, and they have been slow to put information in the public domain. They've been slow to outline what the reform plans are. They have a job of work to do to convince us that they are up for the job of really serious structural reform, accountability uh, 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 and ensuring consequences for those responsible. The more work they do on that front, publicly, transparently with government and with the relevant committees, the more credible they'll be. Then, to, then yeah. the less level of government intervention. But if RTE don't get their house in order, both government and the Oireachtas are going to have to intervene at a heavier level. Uh, and therefore, I think the ball is clearly in RTE's court. Uh, and I'd like to see the committees so, continue so you're to saying do the good work they've done support, to date. but more terms and conditions. But public sector broadcasting, Ivan, is essential uh, for democracy. Uh, and and you know, Owen is right. If you look at where you see 
support for public sector broadcasting withdrawn, you tend to have weaker democratic institutions and you tend to see people like Owen and myself but not, but not held to it, account it, to the same extent. of re, re, reruns of Dynasty public service broadcasting no, is 2FM th- public not, service broadcasting. They're not, Ivan, but news, and, news and current affairs and ensuring sport. But does it need to be slimmed down to maybe a publisher model well, well, with well, just well, that I, core? I, I, I'm on a, and, and we've debated this and in fact I think there is a consensus moving towards a publisher broadcaster model. I think there were two interesting things that were done in the budget that maybe didn't get as much attention in terms of you know support for uh, journalism and democracy. One was uh, the local journalism fund, which supports local media reporting on court cases and council meetings. <coughs> Excuse me. And then the other was the funding of a, a an Irish language channel with TG Carr, um, because that's something that is an example of an investment in good public sector broadcasting. Okay. And you're right, I mean, the commercial stuff is separate, but there is some of that stuff that is absolutely critical for our democracy. Okay. Well, now, in a democracy, political reaction is important because the ultimate accountability, we can fire the politicians, there's no one else can we can fire. So, uh, obviously, I look to you to get a kind of ordinary citizen uh, view of this. You, you, you've been in Montrose many, many times. Uh, first of all, are you surprised or not? I'm saddened by it all, really. Uh, And I should say, first of all, this is the first time I sat for two afternoons listening to our politicians. And I'm here with three politicians. Well, one is a former one. I'm certainly not a politician. uh, (laughs) I'm an entertainer, let's be clear. um, (laughs) And I do think they did a very good uh, job. Uh, I think it was well worth watching, but it was very sad. And um, the first interview I did in RT, I don't believe it or not, I'm showing my age, and it was 60 years ago when I was a very young woman. And I have been interviewed by a lot of, uh, most of the people in RT and indeed here in News Talk and, and thanks. But I'm a huge supporter of public service broadcasting. And when I looked at the staff the other day outside picketing, um, there was a certain sadness in it because here you had professional journalists, you had cameramen, you had reporters, you had the different levels of staff required to produce a programme like this. I mean, it's not all about the presenter who think they can rock in, you know, at five to nine, but you have to have the researchers, mm-hmm. you have to have all of that. And I think if we don't, I'm not going to comment on any person because I think there are families and human beings behind all of this. But... Um, If we don't protect public service broadcasting, where are we going? And I think we need professional journalists now more than ever before, because with social media and people who suddenly think they're experts and making comments, we need to know what's exactly happening in our country. And I think the NUJ, they they have a strong NUJ and I think they do need the NUJ. And I was listening to Seamus Dooley. And... um, so I but think is, is there not a wider picture here? And I've observed this because a lot of, you know, the last 40 years, I wasn't in the media, but in the period I started working in News Talk Breakfast in 09. And I can tell you that, and I've worked for Virgin as well, salaries have more than halved. Uh, yeah. Staffing levels and support levels, yeah. all because 71% of yeah. all advertising is on Google search yeah. and advertising. Yeah. Take even worse, mm-hmm. the print. Mm-hmm. There won't be newspapers no. in 10 years' time. No. And that's full of journalism yeah. and all the rest of it. Like what's happening is you, you, YouTube and, and Netflix yeah. and all the yeah. different ways. So we've got massive fragmentation, yeah. which means that the old world mm-hmm. of a career in journalism mm-hmm. is probably not going to be. 
Well, then maybe one of the things that will come out of this, and it's a side issue, but an important issue. What is the future role of journalists? What is where where is public sector uh, information going to come from? And I well, think that's 83% a huge issue. of people of news and people mm. want news. Yeah. It's through apps, yeah. but they're not going behind the paywall. You know, I, every morning I would yeah. go on the journal.ie, yeah. go on RTE, yeah. go on the Indo, yeah. I go on all the apps. Yeah. News talk, and like you can get who's died, who's yeah. been sacked, you know yeah. what I mean? Who you can. Car but crash, then does you that know? mean it's that free. we're just going to say let RTE go? No, no, I actually and, don't and know what so, the future uh, of it is. Yeah, and I think maybe that's because I think nobody does. And this is why uh, the two committees, I think, in, in, in uh, of politicians is of crucial importance. But we No, also, the BBC is facing the same thing, but like the, the reaction... I I'm getting on the text line and I, you know, if you actually kind of tune out of the story and tune into public opinion, I'm sorry, but I'll never be paying my TV licence again is a resonance that I'm hearing like water, domestic water. Like, can you see the problems here? I can. And and I was thinking about this on the way in. And for example, often you hear people enormously frustrated with the public health system and asking why in God's name are they paying taxes Mm. where they can't access good quality, timely uh, uh, medical care for their family or children. That's not an argument against good quality public health. It's about reforming the public health system that we have. I suppose I make the same argument in relation to public sector broadcasting. I fully understand anybody who's struggling uh, with very, very significant yeah. cost of living mm. rises. And 160 euros is mm. a lot of money for a family on on the edge. And people are saying, why in God's name are we paying for this when some of these uh, folks are mm. off on on junkets with essentially taxpayers' money for reasons that mm-hmm. are justifiable. I also think it has reopened the issue of the salaries. Um, like, it has never made sense to so many of us that uh, in in a small country with a very, very limited market for frontline presenters, no harm to any of you, that RTE pay the types of salaries. Um, and, you know, we forget that some people used to be on 900,000 mm-hmm. euros a year and 700,000 but even 300,000 euros is such a phenomenal amount of money. But what I would say to people is this, and it's it's to pick up Alice's point. Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Bath RTE needs fundamental reform, fundamental restructuring, fundamental redirection. Uh, and we need to do that in the way we need to do it so many of our other public services. Uh, but that's not an argument against public service. It's an argument for public sector reform. But I, is, isn't there an issue that we kind of haven't mentioned? It's the complete failure of governance. That's you right. know, when you think we are a tiny agency, every bottle of milk is accounted for our Barry's tea. We have a board meeting every month. Everything is discussed. And any issue that may arise... Like the executives is, will run any business. The yes. reason you have a board yes. is for oversight. Yeah. And so th- there's complete failure of it in, in RT. It's shocking. Mm. And it's, it speaks to the point, which is what allows that to happen is that insider culture that I spoke about at the start, which is if there are no consequences for those people who break the rules or Mm. act in ways that aren't appropriate, they'll continue to do it. Mm. And you listed a number of institutions at the start of of your opener. We have a long history on board. Planola was the last one that we had to deal with Mm. where people who were entrusted with really important Mm. public functions and because of either where they're from or, or the, the culture that they then become oh, absorbed to. The CEO of Force, we had John Delaney in the FBI. And, this is. And, and, just goes and on we and need on. consequences. Mm-hmm. People uh, need to know 
if they break the rules, if they behave yeah. badly, just but like finally on this, yeah. Malcolm, the rest of us, they yeah. will be punished. What, what's what's the sense in government about this? Because I do I do detect a little bit of a pylon uh, that the politicians are are you know because the, the nature of RT is to give politicians a hard time. People lose their job; they have to resign, and the feet to the fire thing is what RT do. Yeah. Well, I, I I have to say I think. Um, at, in, in the Oireachtas at committee level we tend to work in a very collegial way a lot of people focus on the theatre of you know the big days in the chamber but, but at the committees we do uh, and, and, and certainly can I say that at our committees which normally don't get full attendance you know we've had full attendance with full attendance and, and, a few, yeah. and a few more arriving yeah. in yeah. Uh, as well yeah. um, and, and because we have been debating you know the issues around public sector mm-hmm. broadcasting around media literacy which is mm-hmm. crucial about how can the media operate mm. in the digital age to exactly speak about what mm. you're talking about, Ivan, you know, with Google and Meta mm. and how they're they're dominating the advertising space. And another topic that that I want, and I'm going to start with you, it's, it's particularly in the southeast, but David Colnan has, has raised this issue, and that is the critical life and death nature of ambulance services. So they keep a record of the call-out times, the worst in the country with seven hours and 10 minutes waiting for an ambulance. But you see, you know, over four hours, over two hours. And in the average time now is 33 minutes, uh, which is above the national average of 25 minutes call out time. What's the problem here? Wexford, I know how to fire. You have Waterford, you have Carly Kilkenny. Like this, this is serious. It, it is. And it's, it's, it's not just a problem to the southeast. I mean, this is something that we've seen across the country and, and quite frequently you have these bizarre situations whereby you could have somebody in Wexford being told oh yeah there's an ambulance coming to you but it's coming to you from Tipperary or from some other parts of the country that that whatever system the National Ambulance Service is using um, that you know it's not about getting the, the, the closest ambulance there to you as quickly as possible uh, and I certainly know from speaking with ambulance staff uh, you know, on the ground and a lot of them have the practical experience, you know, they can say, look, we know how to operate this system. Well, is it organisation or capacity is the problem? Do I, we need I, more vehicles? We, Do we, we need more? We, or, uh, or is it actually just badly organised? I, I, I think it's it, a lot of it is organisational. Uh, yes, we do need more vehicles and more ambulance stations. I mean, part of this is about the fact that you know, our population is continuing to grow. And as our population grows, we need then to have the public services that are commensurate with that growth. And there are new ambulance stations being provided. I know, for instance, even in Wexford, that there's a new one in Gorey, that there's one... Is that for triage? Uh, in, in terms of That's, what will that do? Is just where you base the vehicles, is it? It's it's, it's basing the vehicles, but again, with, with some triage functions attached. But the idea is to try, because you know when it's... When something is critical, every minute counts. And the quicker that you're able to get an ambulance to somebody and you're then able to get them to the relevant medical um, personnel, it, it counts. And and yes, well, you know, there are some examples of very good ambulance times. It is not acceptable that you have waits of over 90 minutes, uh, you know, in order to get an ambulance to you. Okay, Owen? So what, what's critical to remember is, I mean, you gave the average statewide time 25 minutes, southeast 33. What HICWA are, are, are requiring is in 80% of ambulance call-outs, it should be 19 minutes or less, and particularly with those critical life or death cases. There are two key problems. One is resourcing. Uh, uh, there isn't an adequate workforce plan. We've been calling for the Minister to set out a five-year workforce plan to ensure that we do have the staff and the vehicles. There's also another problem at the hospital end because of the crisis in our A&Es. 
uh, uh, waiting times or turnaround times as they're called when the ambulance gets to the hospital in many cases are lengthening that means ambulances are sitting in a car park with a patient in it trying to get into it yeah they can't actually get into the building that's that's a, a real real problem but there's a third issue which is and David Cullinan highlighted this as well this week which is obviously because of inflation there have been budget overruns that includes in the National Ambulance Service. And the HSC uh, uh, is now being required by uh, Minister to have cost containment plans. And the big question is, with respect to the National Ambulance Service, if we already have a situation where the statewide average is above what HICWA says is required, uh, we need to know urgently, are those cost containment plans going to apply to ambulance services? Are they going to further constrain capacity and their ability to respond to people in life and death situations? And therefore, I actually think government has a lot to do we need that five-year workforce plan. Uh, we need the A&E uh, crisis to be resolved for all the reasons. Uh, and we also need to be ensured uh, that, particularly at a time of a budget surplus, things like life and death ambulances aren't going to be even more negatively impacted uh, by cost containment plans. As we have a minute left. Um, well, if it's an organisational issue, surely that means people must sit down and look at it and try and get things moving. And of course, there has to be a difference for geographical reasons, people in remote parts of rural Ireland and people in the city. So this needs pe- this needs people to sit around a table uh, and hammer this out and make sure things improve. And also there is the issue, as I would agree with everything the two speakers have said, but I think there's also, if you're waiting for an ambulance, three minutes can feel like an hour You know, it is. And the stress that puts on people. So I think there needs to be a real conversation and something done about the organisation of the service. Okay, my sincere thanks to Malcolm Byrne, Alice Leahy and Owen O'Brien. Look forward to talking to you all again. Uh, And I must talk to you because there's a housing crisis, but a planning emergency. I'll talk to you separately, Owen, about that. Whenever you want. Exactly. The Pat Kenny Show. With Aviva Insurance. On News Talk. Exactly, exactly. Uh, A lot of problems there.